Well, welcome to Newport Church at Home Online. So glad you could join us today. Of course, we have a Spanish service following this. And if you're a Spanish speaker, we'd love you to join us for that. But whether you're joining us from near or far, Orange County, another part of the US, or in uh, other parts of the world, we're so glad you joined us. I want to pray for you after our time of worship. And I believe that God's going to touch you, whatever's happening in your life or world. But right now, let's open our hearts, let's open our spirits, and let's worship God together. And I pray that God's presence and His peace and His power would surround you as we focus collectively on Him during this time of worship. Good morning, Newport Church. Happy Sunday. We're so happy that we can come together to worship. And how true is it to know that our victory is in Christ alone? because of who he is, because of his name, because of what he's done, and who consistently shows himself to be. So as we go into this time of worship, let's remember that we have our full victory in Christ. Amen. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause a God I serve knows only how to triumph Our God will never fail Our God will never fail I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Lord
together, the end and the beginning. I trust that you experienced God's presence during our time of worship. And I want to pray for you right now, wherever you are. Of course, this at this time, our hearts and our prayers and our thoughts go out to all those who've been affected by the devastating fires uh, in California, people who've lost their lives, who've lost their homes, people who've experienced significant and trauma during this time. We want to pray for them. We want to uphold them in our prayers. And of course, this weekend is the 19th anniversary of 9-11. And we remember those who lost their lives and those first responders who gave their lives. We're so thankful in this season for first responders, first responders in, in the medical field, those who've, who've helped us navigate COVID-19, first responders, uh, firefighters, first responders at 9-11. And we're so thankful for those who, who give uh, their and put their lives on the line so that uh, we can, um, they can serve us and help us 
at a time of need. So we want to lift them up in prayer. But whatever's happening in your life, I want to pray for you. I've got faith that God's going to touch you wherever you are. Maybe you have a sickness. Maybe there's a financial need. Maybe a relational challenge. Maybe just feeling you just need a touch from God. Can I encourage you, just put your heart on your ch uh, hand on your heart and, and I want to pray for you now. And God, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is going to touch you in a significant and powerful way. Father God, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. You know every single person uh, that is listening and you're not limited by time or space, but I pray that you would touch each and every person and meet them at their point of need. Heal those that need healing. Touch them supernaturally. Cause faith to rise in their hearts. Touch those who need a financial breakthrough. May you provide for them supernaturally. Those who need relational restoration and reconciliation, bring healing through the work of your spirit. Give us wisdom as we navigate every situation and circumstance of life, whatever the need may be. Lord, you're the God who can turn the impossible situations around. May you do that in Jesus' name. And we pray for the all those who have uh, been so affected by the fires at this time. We pray for them, Lord. We pray that you would cause those fires to be extinguished in Jesus' name, that you would protect people supernaturally and miraculously. And Lord, may those fires uh, abate and may they uh, die down in Jesus' name. We remember those who gave their lives and lost their lives at 9-11. We pray for their families at this time and we pray that you would be a comfort to them. We thank you, Lord, that you are God, sovereign in the midst of all of this, in Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Well, we want to transition now to a time of our giving, and we want to thank you for your generosity, your, your um, donations, your tithes, and your offerings, which enable us to continue to uh, minister to people through our online services, through all that we do from the hub of our church, which we hope will be opening soon, not just to outdoor services, but to indoor services. And, and for us to be able to take the next steps as a church uh, is only possible because of your generosity and your giving. So we wanna thank you for that. And I wanna remind you that God is your heavenly father that as you give, there are several promises that God makes. First of all, he's, Jesus said, give and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, will be put into your lap, overflowing. Um, Paul talked about how when we give offerings, that God will multiply the seed that we sow. The word of God tells us that when we bring the tithe, the first tenth of everything that comes into our lives, God will open the windows of heaven. So many promises. Open the windows of heaven so we won't be able to contain it. Remind God of the promises of his word. He's our heavenly father. And just like a natural father can be reminded by their child of promises that have been made to them, we can remind our heavenly father of his promises and let's believe God that he will do that. Open the windows of heaven as we tithe, multiply the seed that we sow and he will give more to us as we give and sow into his kingdom. Thank you 
for your generosity. On the screens are a number of ways that you can give. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each and every person as they give. Thank you for your promises. We remind you, Lord, of all that you have said and all that you will do. May the reality of your promises be our reality. We pray in Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. God bless you as you give. Happy Sunday and welcome to our home. My dad was a firefighter for 38 years. And even though sometimes he wouldn't come home because he was fighting brush fires in the outback or because he had an injury. And uh, back in the day, there were no cell phones and he would just arrive home. And once I remember him coming home with two broken arms because he had fallen through a terrace house and, um, and was injured and he would just say, it's okay, baby, daddy's home. And what I love about my dad is not the fact that the bravery about him was so much to do with his line of work. It was the fact that he always came home to my mum and to my sister and to me. And yes, he is a hero and he was a first responder. And I so love and respect that about him. But coming home, always brought us peace. His bravery was always actually about home. And this past week, we have had the anniversary of 9-11, 19 years since that tragic, awful day. I'm sure most of us will remember where we were when we heard that news. And now we are experiencing in California some of the worst fires we have ever had in the top six in history. Let's pray for our first responders. Let's pray for our country. And let's remember above all that God himself is our strength and our bravery. I wanna to read to you from my first preaching Bible. This is Amplified Version. I'm gonna to read to you from Habakkuk 3. Verse 19, this is what the Bible says. The Lord God is my strength, my personal bravery, and my invincible army. He makes my feet like hinds feet and will make me to walk, not to stand still in terror, but to walk and make my spiritual progress upon high places of trouble, suffering, or responsibility. You know, what gives us peace in times of uncertainty is remembering who our strength is and remembering that Father God has created us to be brave. People are looking at us right now. They're looking to see if we are going to be strong and steadfast. So may Father God be your peace in this season. Let's pray for our nation, pray for our first responders and the skies that are over us right now that are a reminder of this season, the weather, 
Every time we see a sky now that's cloudy and gloomy and we have ash, let's remember those who have lost homes, lost lives, and let's keep praying that God will bring them peace and bring peace to our nation. I love you. God bless you. Well, we're going to continue this morning with our series, We've Never Been This Way Before, and specifically, how do we transition when we've never been this way before? Two of the greatest transitions in Israel's history were the transition from being slaves in Egypt to being free people in the wilderness. And then after 40 years in the wilderness, they transitioned from being a landless nation across the Jordan River into the land that God had given to them and possessing the land. This significant transition was to prepare the way for God's purpose and plan for the people of God. And as we've been looking at this, we are asking ourselves the question, how did they make these transitions where they'd never been before? What is it that we can learn from these transitions and apply to our situation when we find ourselves in a place we've never been before, making a transition to a post-COVID-19 world? And how can we learn from those lessons? As we look at the key text, there are three things I just want to review for a moment that we, we can see in this passage of scripture. The nation of Israel is on the east side of the Jordan River, ready to cross the Jordan and possess the land under Joshua's leadership. And early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before." Three things we've learned from that, how to transition. The first thing God said is keep your eyes on the ark. We need to keep our eyes on God and we need to follow him, depending upon him and his Holy Spirit. Secondly, keep God's word as your roadmap. God was gonna lead them and direct them through his word. And then thirdly, keep taking steps of faith. So. Essentially, this is a roadmap for, to help us transition. But there are many things that the nation of Israel had to navigate as they transitioned across the Jordan River. In the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the two stages on which the biblical drama unfolds. Essentially, on the right of the Jordan River, we've referred to it as the right stage. On the left or the west of the Jordan River, we've referred to that as the left stage. And each of these two stages were very unique. They had contrasting characteristics and they presented unique challenges to the people of God in those two different environments. In a sense, those two stages give us a picture of the two stages of life, the two extremes of life that we find ourselves in and that we have to navigate. To recap quickly, the right stage, of course, was dry, it was arid, it was desert, it was quiet, it was lonely. The only livelihood that people could have 
essentially was to be shepherds. And of course, it was hard. It was an environment of scarcity. Whereas the left stage, by contrast, was wet, had plenty of rainfall. It was lush. There were farmlands. It was a land of milk and honey. It was busy. Uh, it, was, it was noisy. And, and it was a place of abundance and a place of ease. So the nation of Israel were coming into what God had promised them, all of the blessing that God had promised them, but they had to navigate all of those things as they crossed from one stage to the other stage without losing the lessons that they had learned on the right stage. Basically, when we look at the nation of Israel, we find that when they were on the right stage, they turned towards God. When they were in a place of of hardship and scarcity, they turned towards God. But when they moved into the left stage and experienced abundance and ease, they turned away from God. I think we can all we can all identify with that, that human nature is, is that way, that when we're going through hard times, difficult times, we turn towards God, we need God, we cry out to God, our prayer life increases. But then when everything is going well, it's so easy to forget God, to turn away from God. We don't need God in the way that we did. And we see that is exactly what happened in the story of the people of God. God wanted them to keep the lessons they'd learned on the right stage and take them into the left stage. He wanted them to take the spirituality that they had uh, learned in the difficult times into the times of abundance and not lose them. And we find that time and time again, all of these transitions and all of these, these challenges that they had to navigate, give us examples of things that we need to bring into uh, the different seasons of our life that will help us to navigate and keep us close to God. Three things that we looked at over the last couple of weeks were firstly, they transitioned from abundance and ease to, uh, or from scarcity and hardship to abundance and ease. And uh, when they did, they lost their love for God. They lost their connection to God. And, and, uh, and so they failed to take the spiritual lessons they'd learned into the abundance, which is what we need to do. That in the lessons we learn in the hard times of life, we take them into the abundance. The second thing is they move from the simplicity of the desert to the complexity of the left stage. Life was more complex uh, in the abundance of the left stage. On the right stage, it was a, a, a world of absolutes. On the left stage, it was a, a, a world where those absolutes were not so clear. Things weren't quite so clear. They moved from, uh, uh, they, they moved into more complex environments and, and they lost the simplicity of their first love for God. So when life begets, gets complicated and busy, we need to take the simplicity that we've learned in maybe right stage, difficult times into the left stage. The third thing was clarity, the clarity of the right stage. In the desert, things were very clear, uh, simple, black and white, life and death, 
choices and decisions. On the less stage, there was more ambiguity. It wasn't a question of life or death or black or white. There were shades of gray. How were they gonna interpret God's word? And the clarity of God's word got diluted in the process. So today, we wanna look at the next thing, which was uh, how the nation of Israel transitioned from an environment of unity into an environment of disunity. When the nation of Israel had spent 40 years in the wilderness, they had established after many years of grumbling, complaining, uh, murmuring, uh, rebellion, God had finally brought them to a place of unity as a nation under God, under the leadership that he'd ordained and unity as a people. He did that because God knew that their unity as a nation was vital for their survival and it was vital for the purpose of God to be fulfilled through them as a nation. And so we, we find the nation of Israel, here they are ready to possess the promised land, but they're moving into an environment on the left stage of intense disunity. They're moving from a culture of unity to cultures of disunity. They were moving as one unified nation into a land occupied by seven disunified nations, all vying for power and control of the land. They were moving as a unified nation under one God to a disunified world under multiple, many gods, all vying for the worship of the people. All the whole environment was disunified and they were all at war with each other. In the wilderness, God's people had learned over one whole generation how to live as a unified people, as one nation under God. They were isolated, but they were together. They were alone in the midst of the wilderness, but God was in the midst of them. They were camped together strategically as one nation around the tabernacle and the ark, which was at the very center of their encampment. As they moved together, they traveled as one. And at the beginning of every day and at the end of every day, they prayed this prayer to remind them that God was one and they were one as a nation. It was the foundational and fundamental prayer that Jewish people to this day pray called the Shema. And the Shema is this in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Every morning, every night, they would pray this prayer to remind them that God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then this verse goes on, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This prayer set them apart from every other nation on the earth who were nations with many gods. God wanted it to be indelibly stamped in the very psyche of their being as a nation, that God was one and that their unity, his unity and their unity was going to be the key to their success and the success to every transition 
that they would undergo. God is one. And if we can be one with him, if we can love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength, and if we can do as Jesus said, love our neighbor as ourselves, our unity is going to be our strength. The very essence of their faith, the very essence of our faith is expressed in unity, not division, but in unity. Unity of faith, unity of mission, unity of purpose, unity of vision, unity of spirit, which is why for one whole generation, God reiterated again and again the importance and the power of unity. God wanted them to establish themselves in the land in unity under God in the midst of widespread disunity. I believe that that's what God calls us as the church to demonstrate. He calls us to, to come under the, the sovereignty of God in unity to express the wonder and power of unity in the midst of so much disunity that we see in our world today. And the, that mandate has not changed for us as the church. They were unified with God in their midst and in that way, they were going to be able to navigate any transition that they would have to transition. Of course, the enemy knew this. The devil knew this. And he did everything he could to create disunity, to fan the flames of disunity, to try to divide so that he could conquer the people of God as they tried to enter or as they entered into the promised land. Unity is the key to any transition. It's interesting that when Jesus was come at the end of his ministry in John 17, he prayed the Lord's Prayer, which is essentially his prayer to his father just before his death and resurrection. And he was praying at this moment of hugely significant transition, the greatest transition in human history when Jesus' ministry was coming to an end. His death, his resurrection, his ascension, the birth of the early church were all going to take place within a, a short 50-day period. This is what he said. He said, Jesus looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. The hour of transition has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And then a few verses later, he prays, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave them. Listen to this, so that they may be one as we are one. So that they may be one as we are one. Jesus knew the power of his his ministry and the impact of all that was going to take place was because he and his father were one. And he's praying that we, his followers, could be one, even as he and his father are one, because Jesus knew that our success, the fulfillment of God's plan and purpose from the beginning of time, was not going to be fueled by, by conflict and uh, and and disunity, it was going to be established through 
the power of unity and the power of us being one. The transition of Jesus' disciples, leadership to the early church all took place in an environment of unity. Any transition to be successful must involve and must be an expression of unity. As we transition from a COVID impacted, affected world to a post-COVID world. And, and all of these transitions are taking place right now. Schools are beginning to open up, to have re-entry plans. Churches uh, are considering, and we are considering, and we're gonna be keeping you informed about the transition from being online at home to now having our outdoor bi-weekly every two week meetings, uh, worship and communion as a segue, as a transition into us regathering and meeting again as a church. All of these transitions are taking place at the, the moment. And as we navigate our transition as a church, it's so important and it's vital that we are unified. Here's the thing. We may not all agree on everything. We may not all agree on the timing. We may not all agree on the methodology. We may not all agree on every point. But what we do have to agree with is whatever we do, we will do it with unity of heart, with unity of spirit, with unity of purpose, with the unity of our mission in mind. You see, unity is not based on an opinion. Unity is a choice. Unity is a decision because together we have one purpose. We have one mission. We have one vision. We have one goal, and that is to see God's kingdom come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I've said it before, and you've no doubt heard it said before as well. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. When we keep the main thing the main thing, then everything else will fall into place. And when we keep the main thing the main thing, we will experience unity. Um, Israel was about to transition into an environment of intense disunity. And God said to them, stay unified. Stay unified in the midst of diversity. Joshua on the shores of the Jordan River is telling the people of God, keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And if you do, we will be successful. I've heard it said, uh, I read this in a, in a quote some time back, that success is about doing the right thing, not about doing everything right. Too often we focus on doing everything right rather than doing the right thing. And I believe, and I believe the word of God makes it very clear that unity is the right thing. If we focus on unity, we may not get everything right, but if we're focusing on the right thing, at the end of the day, we're gonna be able to fulfill what God wants us to do as a people of God. And David knew this. 
David, who wrote Psalm 133, he said this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And at the end of that Psalm, he says, for there the Lord has commanded his blessing, life forevermore. Where has God commanded his blessing? God's commanded, not not said it would be good for you to experience. He commands blessing where people live in unity. That tells us how important it is for us to be unified as a people of God. And uh, I think all of us can relate to this. These days we're blessed with uh, the the, uh, technology that's available to us and if we're, if we're wanting to get to a destination, we put the destination into uh, Google Maps and Google Maps tells us which way to go. Sometimes we can take the wrong turn. Even though the map's telling us this is the way we should go, we can inadvertently make a wrong turn. But here's the thing, Google Maps always course corrects and tells us basically, don't worry, make the next left turn the left turn after that, a right turn, and you're back on track. We end up at the destination because Google Maps has within it the ability to course correct when we've, we've made the wrong turn. And I firmly believe that if we love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, if we bring our lives under God's leadership, from time to time, we may make the wrong turn. We may make a wrong decision or a wrong choice, but God will, through the work of his Holy Spirit, course correct us to bring us back on track. And unity, when we are collectively as a people of God, navigating, going where we've never been before, unity is such an integral, powerful, central part to that. When you read the story of the nation of Israel, the whole story is all about how God wanted them to uh, have the tabernacle in their midst, the holy of holy in their midst, that God would go before them, that they would be unified as a nation under God, one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. At the same time, the enemy is totally committed to taking us off course, to us losing our points of reference, to us losing our way. And, and there is no doubt that that is his purpose. Jesus said the devil came but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. During this time of COVID-19, there is no doubt that the enemy has been trying to kill, steal, and destroy as many people as he possibly could. And on the heels of the COVID-19 pandemic, we've experienced so much tension, so much racial and political disunity in our land. And the enemy not only incites that disunity, but he fans the flames of that disunity because he, he knows that where there is disunity, he will always gain the upper hand. He will always uh, be able to divert us from our purpose and how important it is as a church that we're not ignorant of his devices as a people of God, not just our church, but globally, we're not ignorant of his devices. And we understand how centrally important unity is to the fulfillment of our purpose, God's plan and, and, and 
the, the mission that we have as a church to see his kingdom come and his will be done. His greatest weapon, the enemy's greatest weapon is disunity. Remember, he divided heaven. One third of the angels were cast out of heaven because Satan or Lucifer as he was then wanted to, uh, to take the worship that belonged to God to himself. He divided heaven. He then divided the Garden of Eden and he, he, he tempted the woman Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he divided the first marriage between Adam and Eve and Adam when uh, God came walking in, in the garden and said, what have you done? They were hiding and uh, knowing that they were naked and, and Adam blamed Eve. And so he brought division in the first marriage. And then the first uh, children that were born, Cain and Abel, Cain slew Abel. And so the division that the enemy has caused has, has continued through the ages. His goal is to divide. Disunity does not create a better world. It seems obvious to say that, but only unity is going to bring about the purpose that we want to see in our world. And Jesus came to bring unity. He came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Here's the interesting thing. Unity is not uniformity. We don't all have to look the same. We don't all have to think the same, talk the same. Um, we say the same things. Uh, we don't necessarily have to agree on everything to be unified. We can agree to disagree, but we can agree on this one thing, that we're not going to allow disunity to bring division. We're not going to allow disunity to take us off course, but we're going to understand that unity is at the core of our success. In fact, we're going to celebrate our diversity. We can have unity through diversity, obviously through racial diversity, diversity of opinion, diversity of perspectives, diversity of strategies, diversity of methodologies, but still have unity within that. And in fact, our diversity doesn't make us weaker. Our diversity makes us stronger. Diversity of perspectives, of looking at things different ways, of new and fresh ideas. If you look at the nation of Israel, they were divided up into 12 tribes. All of them had different, uh, a, a different anointing, a different call on each one of them. Of course, the Levites were the priests. Judah was to be the ruling tribe. We read about Issachar, that Issachar were a tribe who understood the, the, understood the times uh, and, and how to discern what to do in difficult times. All of them had different skills and abilities. You look at the 12 disciples, 12, 12 tribes, 12 disciples is the number of government. And you look at the difference and diversity between the 12 tribes, the diversity of the 12 disciples, Peter, who was impulsive, first to open his mouth, first to put his foot in his mouth. Um, you look at James and John, Jesus called them sons of thunder. They were volatile. They were easily fired up. Um, Thomas, who uh, many say was, we know him as Doubting Thomas, was gloomy, uh, easily discouraged. 
Um, Matthew was a tax collector. Simon had been a zealot. Um, all of the disciples had different characteristics. They, they had different skills, different abilities, different temperaments, and yet Jesus forged them together into a unified group that even though they may have had differences of opinion, they worked together in unity to fulfill and be a part of Jesus's mission. And I believe that's so important uh, for each and every one of us at, at this particular time in, in, in the transition that we're making as a church into this next season. It's so important that we do everything we can to keep the main thing the main thing. Just like the early church, it's interesting that the early church says that they were all of one mind, they were all of one purpose, and they shared all things in common. I think unity, one of the keys to unity, is not focusing on what we don't agree on, but it's by focusing on what we do agree on. Usually most, um, many of the things that we disagree on are not the major things. I think if you look at any, ask any married couple, most of the disagreements are about small things, minor things, not important, not on the major things. And I think if we can focus on what we have in common, if we can focus on our common faith, our common purpose, our, our common vision, that is such a, a cohesive uh, force as we move forward to fulfill all that God has done. They had all things in common. They focused on what they had in common and it was what they had in common that brought the great unity, that brought the great blessing that they experienced as an early church that literally transformed their world. Could we have that as followers of Jesus? Can we be those people in our day to day? I believe that we can. When I first came to know Jesus, when I first became a Christian, I had a literal encounter with Jesus. I had a vision of Jesus that totally transformed my life. I was 23 years old, I was a hippie. I'd been traveling around the world for three years. I was in Australia and was really not sure where I was gonna go next. Was I gonna travel through North and South America and go back to England or go back to India? And, and I was at this crossroads in my life when I had this encounter with Jesus Christ, a literal vision that transformed my life. And so I became a part of a community of faith. And having been a hippie, I just used to hang out pretty much with hippies and people who, who lived that kind of lifestyle. But when I became a Christian, I became part of a community of faith that was very diverse. There were many different kinds of people. Not everyone looked like a hippie. Not everyone had long hair or long beard or not everyone dressed like a hippie. This was a very diverse community and faith. And previously, I would not really have had a lot in common with these people. But all of a sudden, I realized that I had something that was more powerful than anything I'd ever experienced before. And that was my faith that brought a commonality of, of, of understanding and a spiritual dimension and a faith and a, and a vision and a purpose and a passion and an excitement that came from being a believer in Christ that I just loved to hang around with these people and be a part of that community, even though previously my 
subculture was very different from this culture, but what we had in common was our faith. And I discovered then that that is the most important thing when it comes to our, uh, the diversity of who we are as people, the commonality of our faith, that if we can keep the main thing, the main thing at the very center of all that we do, it will be powerfully transformative in every aspect and area of our lives as we transition through the many seasons that we walk and go through as believers in Christ. As we conclude, next week I want to talk about three specific things that God established so that to facilitate unity in an environment of disunity and how those things can apply to us in our own lives and in our own world. But to conclude, here's Paul's words to us, Ephesians 2 and verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Let's make every effort to keep ourselves united in the spirit as we transition to where we've never been before. Remember the importance of unity as we transition. Remember, the devil wants to fan the flames of disunity and division. Remember that we can have diversity within the unity and unity within diversity. Remember that we are most vulnerable when we go through times of transition. And let's remember the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. If we do, we will know a powerful unity where God commands his blessing. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you today for your grace and your goodness. I pray for, for each and every person. I pray that our hearts would be open. Father, make us one as you, Jesus, and your Father are one. May we be one. And I pray, Lord, that the words of this message and the work of your spirit in our lives might resonate within us and that we could, through the power of our unity in the midst of so much disunity, declare your great love, declare hope where there is no hope, cause faith to rise in people's hearts and be a voice of hope and faith in our day and in our generation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are listening to this message and you've never ever made a decision to accept Jesus as your savior, I wanna give you that opportunity. Just like I accepted Christ as a 23-year-old, had a vision of Jesus, you can, you can pray that same prayer today. God will hear your prayer, he'll answer your prayer, and he'll come, he'll forgive your sins. He'll give you a brand new, fresh start and beginning. He'll lift the weight of guilt off your life. He'll fill your heart with peace. He'll give you an assurance of the gift of eternal life that when you leave this world, you'll spend eternity in heaven with Jesus and your loved ones who've gone before you, that you will know a divine purpose in your life, that you'll be able to live with purpose and a sense of destiny because Jesus has touched and transformed your life and awakened you to God's purpose 
for your life. I'd love to pray that prayer with you. If you want to pray that prayer with me, close your eyes, say this after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I open up my heart and I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to forgive me. Give me a fresh beginning. I believe that I will never be the same again. Fill me, Holy Spirit, with your presence, your life, and your power. And may I live this day with a sense of purpose and destiny. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to connect with you on the screen. There are a number of different ways you can do that. Reach out to us. We'd love to connect you and help you take the next steps into your God-given purpose and destiny. So glad that you made that decision today. It's the best decision you could ever make. God bless you. so glad that you joined us today. I pray that hope and faith has risen in your heart. And as we go, there's a couple of things I want to share with you that uh, I'm excited about. First of all, we have our Spanish service right after this service. And I'd love you to either join us if you're a Spanish speaker, or if you know someone who's a Spanish speaker, send them the link because 
I believe that they're going to be greatly blessed by a Spanish service. And also next Saturday night, Saturday the 19th at 6 p.m., we're going to have a one-hour worship evening. Uh, and we have some special guests that are going to be joining us for that. You're going to need to come. And I know you're going to be greatly blessed as we worship God together outdoors at the front of our church. It's going to be an amazing night. I want to really encourage you to come, bring your friends, your family, your in-laws, your outlaws, everyone that you can gather. Um, and let's use these opportunities to help us to take the steps that will help us transition into regularly meeting together. We're going to keep you posted. I know that there have been changes uh, that, uh, that have been uh, mandated from a, uh, uh, a state level and a local level, and things are starting to move and starting to open up. We want to we want to keep you as informed as possible. We're going to be sending our church community a survey. We want to hear from you. And uh, so keep your eyes open for that. Help us as we navigate this next season. Pray that God will give us wisdom and help us. We want to have both wisdom and faith as we step into this next season. Thank you for being with us. And now I pray that the Lord would bless you that he would keep you, that he would make his face to shine upon you, that he'd be gracious to you now and evermore. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you. See you next Saturday night.